0: you just see these product suites. They're just creating for the sake of creating because it's all that they know how to do. Because number one, they're entrepreneurs, they're not business people, so they create. And then number two, they're taught from day one that you create what the customer asks for. And so I just have so much empathy for them because they're doing exactly what they're taught and it's completely screwing them.
1: welcome to break the ceiling the show where we help agencies and consultants bust through self-imposed growth ceilings by sharing up their operations and increasing their capacity i'm susan Bowles. i'm your growth architect to help you build the systems that you need to double your revenue and lower your stress hello 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 and welcome to break the ceiling today we're still talking about default decisions All those choices that you make about how to run your business. And a lot of these decisions happen without us even realizing we're making a choice, especially at the beginning of our businesses. But sometimes those choices we didn't know we made come back and bite us in the butt when we need to make the transition from experimentation mode or validation mode and into growth mode. So in episode one of the series, I talked to Tara McMullen about why the default decisions you make at the beginning of your business may actually be causing the problems that are limiting your ability to grow now. And in episode two, Margot Aaron and I talked about making choices about the business you could run versus the business you want to run. So if you haven't checked those out yet, you might go back and give them a listen. Today, we're talking about business models. Lots of our default decisions are actually built into the model we choose. So making sure we choose the right one is a pretty core choice that has a huge impact on what our businesses actually have to look like in the back end. So if you choose to run a brick and mortar store, you have to staff it. If you choose to run a digital course business, you have to build and launch courses. So sometimes the model you choose doesn't really lend itself to a ton of choices later on, like a brick and mortar store. But in the case of service-based businesses, there's an almost infinite number of choices about the ways you can choose to generate your revenue and scale your business. And that's where my guest, Michelle Warner comes in. Michelle is a business designer who helps coaches, consultants, and service-based entrepreneurs grow their business. Now. Michelle is a genius when it comes to building profitable and streamlined business models. And we'll often work together with clients as a bit of a one-two punch. So she'll design the model and I'll help clients actually execute it and put it into practice. And Michelle is all about prioritizing what matters, skipping what doesn't, and making sure your model matches what you want from your business and your life. And we're going to talk about how to make that move from experimentation mode into a model that's designed to grow, and how not to drive yourself crazy along the way. So let's dive in. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Break the Ceiling. My guest today is Michelle Warner. Michelle is a business designer who helps coaches, consultants, and service-based entrepreneurs grow their business. Hi, Michelle. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited for our conversation. So let's just jump right in. And why don't you tell us a little bit about what business design is? Sure, I would love
0: to because not many people know the term, but everybody does it. So I love educating people on this. Business design, it's actually a hybrid approach to creating your business model and figuring out how you're gonna grow your business. And it really combines the traditional analytical thinking common in business, right? I've got an MBA, I've got that very traditional background, uh, but it also embraces and welcomes the uncertainty that comes with startups and with design thinking and helps you navigate. Cause when you're in traditional business and you're looking at business models, it sounds like super stodgy. And- and you're going to go write some 15-page document that you're going to go turn into a bank and it's actually completely useless. But when you think about it, when you combine it with experimentation and design thinking and what it could be, it actually becomes a very live model that you can use to grow your business in the direction that you want to grow it in. This all came from when I started this business 6 years ago, I found this quote from Andy Warhol and it said being good in business is the most fascinating kind of art and I that was everything to me. I was like, "Yes, that makes sense. It's business is creative.
1: Business is absolutely creative. I love that because I have kind of the same experience where business is my creativity. You know, I don't do a lot of art. I don't sing. I don't act. But being able to creatively pull together different aspects of the business and turn it into something is just a whole other kind of creativity. And I love that quote. I tell my clients, I say, bring
0: me your puzzle pieces. I will figure out how to fit them together."
1: Yes. That's the most fun thing ever. Yes. So tell me a little bit about kind of how your business came to exist. How did it evolve into its current incarnation?
0: Sure. It started about six years ago. And it started because prior to that, I was running a traditional tech startup. And part of this traditional tech startup, we were putting affordable internet into the inner cities. And I could talk about this for hours, how much of a problem that is. We hear about rural areas. We don't think about people who can't access the internet in inner cities. So we were taking care of that problem. And as we took care of that problem, I was looking around and noticing and visiting my customers. And there were all these single moms who could not have normal jobs because they were single moms with a bunch of kids. Um, So they were really struggling in the workforce. And when we got them affordable internet, all of a sudden they're creating businesses. And it was wildly inspiring to me. And it really opened my eyes to this need of people who work from wherever and are creating businesses from wherever. But what I also saw was Nobody actually knew what they were doing in terms of building their business. They had some skill, they were making it work, but here I was, I had built a multi-million dollar startup. I had this traditional MBA background. I knew how to build a business, and I just saw this opportunity of, hey, what if I come in and help all of you figure out your puzzle pieces. That's the part of the business I like. I was getting bored at my startup because we were having HR meetings and customer service people were crying about lunch hours. I was like, no, this is, this is not oh, me. I don't care. Worst. Yeah, I don't care about <laughs> HR handbooks. I want the mess at the beginning. So I thought, why don't I start a business where I can fix everybody's mess? I want to fix messes over and over again. So that's how it, how it came to be. And Over the past six years, it's gone through um, several different iterations in how I deliver the services, but the service has always been, let me design you a business model that is going to allow you to grow.
1: I love that. And I think that's definitely a need because, so our theme in the podcast this session is really talking about those default decisions, decisions that you wouldn't necessarily understand that you're making. And one of those default decisions that happens so commonly is- People go to start a business and they think it has to be something specific or something that somebody told them. And they don't necessarily realize that there's so many different ways that you can go about building a business, particularly an online business or a service business. There's hundreds of thousands of different ways you can decide to do that and decide to scale that. And I think it's hard sometimes where in an industry where we have this emphasis on Frameworks and you have to build a course and you have to have a community and you have to do all of these things. And we get marketed to and told this is the way that you're supposed to do it. And I think there's a little bit of us that it's hard to think outside the box sometimes and think about different alternatives, different ways that you can go about doing it. So I can definitely see where your ability to come in and come up with creative solutions helps everybody.
0: Absolutely. You know, and it's this is one of my big pet peeves about this industry or any growing industry that has a lot of new business owners in it is you need some of that templated stuff. You need some of that expectation of what should I do to get started, right? Because you're never going to get started if you don't think, "Oh, I should build a course or oh, I should do this or that." Like if you have nothing to start with, it's really hard to start from a vacuum. So I'm appreciative. A lot of people bash all that templated stuff and Gosh, knows I have to in my day, um, but I appreciate all of that stuff. But then you get to a chasm where you have built something. You know you can deliver value. You know that you have a business, and now you feel really constrained by the should have, could have, wouldas. But you have no. I all you have done is followed somebody else's directions. So you have no idea how to make the leap from following someone's directions into building what you want to build. And that's where I like to come in. So I don't work with complete new business owners because you have to go through some sort of experiment stage. You know, throw stuff against a wall, follow top 10 lists, whatever, you got to go through that. I'm convinced of that. But then you also have to recognize when time for that is done. And it's time to, you know, actually learn how to run your business.
1: Absolutely. I I definitely agree with that. You know, when you're when you're starting out, following a framework is helpful in, in the same way that a lot of um, the way that I see this executed with my clients is, you know, they picked a software, or they picked something And the reason they picked it is well, somebody when I was starting out, I asked in a Facebook group, What project management system do you use? or What accounting systems do you use? And somebody said something and that they liked it. And so that's what I picked um, without really any conscious choice of why or whether or not that was the right choice for you. Because I agree, early on in your business, you don't actually have any idea if it's the right choice for you or not. It's something you have to give it a shot and see how it works. But at a certain point, you will hit a ceiling if it's not the right way to work or it's not the right software for you or it's not the right business model for you. I think you will hit that ceiling where you have built a business that is unsustainable with either its current incarnation, its current systems, its current people, its current team, and you have to do something to make that change.
0: Absolutely, and you're going to hit that ceiling. And you know what has to happen when you kind of hit that ceiling is, it's not another strategy you can lay on something usually. It's, it's usually a mindset change that you have to make from everything being black and white to moving into everything being gray space. And that's the nuance that people miss, right? They just want the answer. Is this right or is that right? And that works to that certain extent. You know, is this software fine or is that software fine? And then you have to cross a little bit of a chasm and go into a world where every single answer is either it depends or why. And that's really hard. (laughs) People don't like those. Like I have plenty of experience telling my clients that they don't like those as responses to their questions, right? But if you want to have a business that actually works in a way that scales in a way that doesn't make you insane, you have to know how to make the transition into asking those types of questions and being able to respond to them.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think that you do have to be able to say here's why I'm doing it and here's the conscious choice I'm making and the reasoning behind that because the answer is well any of those choices are valid choices they're all just a different direction you could choose so based off you know either your own experiences or your work with your clients when you see those business owners hitting that ceiling when they get to that point where they're a little overwhelmed they know something has to change but how you know how do they know when they've hit that ceiling how do they how do they come to you and say things are broken i don't know what to do <laughs> what are the signs what are the symptoms
0: yeah it's interesting you know the way it manifests the symptoms are they come saying i'm working all you know around the clock and nothing is moving forward i cannot grow any sales without a direct correlation in how much i work And you know, it's time, energy and freedom. Those are the classic signs, right? (laughs) They're not making money, they have no energy, they're working all the time, and they have no more time to give. And profit margins are disappearing. That's really the symptoms that we see. So they'll they'll come and they'll say, you know, I don't know how to make more money. I'm stalled out. I'm stuck. I hate my business is the most extreme if they have waited too long to, to ask someone for help. It's, you know, I'm burned out. I hate this thing that I've created. I've created a new job for myself.
1: And are there any particular decisions or choices you see folks making kind of over and over that have a really big impact on how they got into that situation? You know, what are the causes of that overwhelm?
0: Yeah, I love this question because I have all the empathy in the world for the answers to this. Because the reason over and over and over again, the reason is that as entrepreneurs, again, we're taught like when the customer asks for something, create it. And the customer is always right and listen to your customers, right? And so what I see is when a model breaks down and there's no more revenue coming from a product, everybody goes and asks their customers what do they want and they create something new. And then they ask them what they want again and they create something new because the only way they can figure out how to make more money, um, they can't extract more money out of the core products that they were selling because there's something broken there. So they go create more things. But they don't, know how to create those things efficiently or in a proper model either. And so that just adds to the problem. And so that's where I'm saying like 20 products down the line, if they wait too long to ask for help, they are now trying to maintain 20 products at a crappy profit margin, you know, that aren't being run efficiently and that probably aren't really serving their core customer because all they're doing is emailing or asking on Instagram, hey, what do you need next? And they are just creating it because they need cash. Um, So you just see these product suites They're just creating for the sake of creating because it's all that they know how to do. Because number one, they're entrepreneurs, they're not business people, so they create. And then number two, they're taught from day one that you create what the customer asks for. And so I just have so much empathy for them because they're doing exactly what they're taught and it's completely screwing them.
1: I think that's really interesting. Do you think there's any, is that a boundary issue for them? Or do you think it's just the model is build courses or build products, and that's the only acceptable, scalable choice?
0: Yeah, I do think it's not that it's the only acceptable, scalable choice, but it's really there. there's a chasm that you have to cross between being an experimental entrepreneur and running a business. And that bridge, that moat, whatever we want to call it, that you have to cross comes when you go out of experiment and out of new creation and understand how to double down on something and make it efficient and learn how to operationalize it, productize it, you know, put processes in, all the wonderful things that you do. And people don't understand that that bridge or that moat exists. They don't know it's something that they have to cross. Um, And so they just stay in the earlier stages of the business, which is experimentation and validation. And they just keep creating new things and new things. And nobody is teaching them that, hey, at some point, you stop that stage and you move on to, you know, you stop being a startup and you start being a business. Yeah, that's where I have so much empathy because we just – We love, again, we love to be this black and white thing, and it's easy to teach people those early stages. So nobody says, oh, then by the way, at some point, you need to move on from that.
1: Absolutely. So are there particular strategies or models that you see that people should use based on where they are in the kind of stages of growth of their business? You know, so once they're doing those experimentations and they've grown the business to a point where they don't have the capacity anymore or they have kind of hit the ceiling you know what are some of the strategies that you would use after that point you know when they come to you and they say i'm overwhelmed what do you do well the first thing i do because it's
0: not well known is show them the stages of business and explain to them hey you're stuck in stage 2 but you are really ready to be in stage 3 and so then we need to shift your focus you know stage 1 is validate you just need to do you offer value to anyone? And if so, can you get some success stories? Um, stage two is sell. You know How can you create some sort of predictable marketing process around the fact that you can create um, a success story for a person? And that's where people stall out. They get some sort of predictable marketing process and then they don't know what to do next. Whereas stage three is really operationalize things. And that's the biggest breakdown I see is people try, is not knowing they have to go from stage two to stage three. So the very first strategy I do is I point that out. And I say you have been spending, continuing to spend all of your time creating new marketing systems when you already had a proven one, where your solution was actually to now take that proven marketing system and start operationalizing it. Or if you've created a proven marketing system that you hate, which also happens, um, you know we have to go back and start stage two and find the marketing system that you like. And within that comes, okay, now you've created all these things, right? We also have to layer on this issue that they've probably created 20 products. So, okay, if you have created 20 products, who are you actually selling those to? And now you probably have 20 segments of customers. So we need to back off that, figure out exactly who your segment is of customers and what's the predictable marketing system for that. If those two things, we can still say yes to those things, then we go on and say like, okay, how can we operationalize this? I like that. Yeah, that's... Yeah, there's simple strategies. I call them like, this is simple stuff, but it is not easy. And it's very difficult to see for yourself. It's almost impossible to see for yourself.
1: Yeah, I have I have the same issue where you just want, you know, I just need a me. <laughs> can somebody be me for me?
0: Oh, I need a me too. Like cobbler's shoes, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love to get on my high horse, but yeah, life is not perfect over here either.
1: So on the on the operations side, where you're operationalizing things, one of the ways that I talk about it with my clients, because we have a very similar, there's a crossover at that point where you kind of help them realize that they need to operationalize. And then I'm the person that actually does that for them. Right. And one of the things that we talk about fairly consistently is just making a decision one time and then executing that decision over and over um so deciding what your process is for this one thing and then just do that over and over again while you focus on other pieces of the business and i think that's important both from a marketing aspect but also from you know just a execution of what are you doing you know what courses are you offering and how can you streamline that offering But also, and one of the things that I absolutely love about your content is talking about prioritization. So what can you choose not to do? And how can you focus on the things that matter? How do you execute that with your clients?
0: I'm glad you asked this because this is a piece of the story that I missed. Uh, I was talking about them creating thousands of products, and that's true. But they also create thousands of marketing ideas and thousands like there's just create, 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 right? I mean, we're entrepreneurs, we have shiny things syndrome. Exactly. Give us a break. Exactly. Like you are just gonna create all the time. And so when we're looking at going from stage one to stage two, you know, validate to a predictable marketing system or predictable marketing system to operations. One of the things I'm doing is not only looking at, okay, you've created all these products for all these different segments, which of those are actually working? I'm actually looking at the marketing systems that go along with that as well and saying, great, you have 15 marketing channels, congratulations. Which two are actually working? So that's, you know, we find the one or the two that are actually working in all those categories, product, segment, marketing, make sure they line up and then 80% of your time goes there. And then 20% go and play. And I think that's important because um, I learned this early on. When I would advise entrepreneurs to only focus on everything, on these one or two things that were working, there's a freak out moment because they need that outlet. And also I came from startups where you do always experiment and, you know, markets change quickly. So I'm like, okay, go, go play for 20% of the time and do whatever you want to do over there and tell me if something starts working, but 80% of your time, this is what you need to focus on and drop everything else. And so that's how we really build the priorities is looking at what worked and what was just a reaction to this need to create and then stripping away the need to create and putting it into focus.
1: Well, and that really ties into being able to grow their capacity and minimize the impact on their team if they have a team or on them if it's just them. The ability to prioritize and then know where to focus your time, where to focus your energy to get the maximum impact. I love the idea of growing capacity through just choosing not to do things. That's one of my favorite tricks.
0: (laughs) Well, come on. Again, like we're entrepreneurs. Everybody has too much. I have yet to run into a client who didn't yet have enough on their plate in terms of ideas.
1: Yeah. Nobody's sitting around going, man, right. I wish I had more ideas. Everybody has that that like secret list of these are all of my ideas that I'm going to get to someday that I don't want to forget.
0: Yep. And also I, you know, one of my favorites is I'm presented with the potpourri of thirty here's the thirty-seven things we're doing for marketing. And I'm like, oh, fantastic. Which one of those is working? And you just get a blank stare. Nobody needs to be doing 37 things for your marketing. And so, yeah, it's finding that combination of of what's actually working that actually makes sense for the segment of customers that makes sense for you. And you brought up team a little bit. I mean, talk about having a better experience for your team when they are not chasing your shiny objects and you're not changing direction every day on them. But instead, you give them the 80%, they execute day after day after day, and you could go chase shiny objects for 20%. Don't even give the 20% to your team, right? Um, You just go play and have fun and dream and let them execute what's working.
1: I mean, that's really the ideal for pretty much every business owner, right? Like let your team execute and you just go do fun things that you want to test out. I
0: think I'm going to do this today. Yeah, that's perfect. (laughs) Because who doesn't want to do that?
1: Oh, I definitely do. (laughs) I'm like, that sounds perfect to me. Can I just like play around on different software systems all day and see what they're about? Because that sounds perfect. Exactly. So. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the ways that you've seen this impact your business. Is there a time that you kind of realized that maybe you had hit a growth ceiling and how did you how did you recognize that and what did you do about it? Um yes,
0: as we said, like cobbler has no shoes, I've definitely screwed this up for myself. And the most obvious one was Early on in my business, this was the days I was working solely with course creators at that point. And this is about maybe 2015, 2016. And if you were in the online space at that time, we were literally seeing overnight millionaires people who were charismatic, had teaching backgrounds, were creating courses and making a million dollars in a month. Um, that was actually a thing that happened. and Now that's kind of the thing that all the gross marketing is based off of, but then it was a thing that happened. And I was, acting CEO for some of these businesses because we had charismatic people who had teaching backgrounds. They had no idea how to run a business. And so I would go in and I would supposedly fix the business because it was out of control. It had grown too quickly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what happened was because these people had no business background and now they literally had a million dollars on the line, it was panic central, right? Everything was a mess. It had to be fixed now. There was so much on the line that I went from kind of being a consultant, telling you what's wrong with your model into lots of requests to run the business. So my default decision was I just said, oh yeah, sure. And by retainer, I became an acting CEO of these businesses, which number one, Why am I spending time running someone else's million dollar business when, you know, I could have been doing something for myself? That was part of the reason I left my startup, which is another whole long story. So that was something that wasn't good. But the worst part of it was I realized I was making everything worse because by going into a retainer agreement, I became an employee that they felt very comfortable asking to make all the decisions. As opposed to how I work now, which is very much strategist designer, I come in, we design this together, and then you go execute it. There's a reason I do that. And it's because when I worked on retainer, they were outsourcing all of the critical decisions to me. And that does not do the business any kind of good. It doesn't do them any good because they're living in fear. They have all this stuff on the line. And now they're just out of fear. They're going to rely on someone else to make all their decisions. And it does me no good because now I have the stress of like $4 million businesses on me. Um, and that's miserable and you know, panicked people. And so I really – I screwed that up. And so I stopped doing that. And now I work – very much on a project basis. I come in, we design your business models together. I give you priorities, tell you exactly what to go execute, and I'm around. I don't disappear on my clients, but I don't work on retainer and help you execute those. And there's there's a very specific reason I do that. And then I have a program where my clients and others can come into and stay on track. Like you can always check in on these are your priorities. What are you doing this week? You know, what's your focus area? Um, and so there's some strategy in there, but it's less strategy and it's more. Are you on track? Are you planning correctly? What was your priority? Is that you know? Are you staying true to your eighty percent? And so that's how I came out of out of that screw up myself.
1: Yeah, I think that's a an interesting uh, point because there's a lot of accountability type groups versus like a prioritization type group. And I know that's something that I've struggled with with my own businesses. I have shiny thing syndrome, just like all the other entrepreneurs. And it's very easy for me to help other business owners prioritize their business. But it's a whole other thing when I have all of the ideas in my head and I don't have a filter where I can often act as the filter for the shiny things with the clients that I work with. But I've struggled with the accountability aspect because I don't necessarily need to be accountable to somebody, but I do have a hard time sometimes deciding what is the most important thing to focus on right in this moment? You know, what is the thing I should be doing now? So how do you, how do you advise people on that?
0: What they do when they come into the program is we have a call and I know a lot of them already, or if I don't know you, we have a call. We figure out what's going on with your business. If something is going on so seriously that we need to work together, I tell you that, or we figure out what are your priorities for the coming quarter. And then you're right. Like it's accountability to that it's not accountability to whatever you think your to-do list is this week. I could really care less because accountability to the wrong things is just a waste of everyone's time. So I'm going to get in there with you. I'm going to figure out what your priority is. And then you're going to come in and there's going to be accountability towards that. How are you moving forward on that? And then every quarter, we're going to get together as a group and reassess those priorities. You know, We're going to Re look at business stages. So, if you were on stage two last quarter, are you still in stage two? Okay, great. What do you need to focus on? Have you moved to stage three? So, then what does that mean? You know, what does your priority need to change to so that you continue moving forward? And I really look at the accountability space as a way to make sure people are focused as opposed to a way to make sure people are getting their to do list done each week.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, the to do list changes so fast. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And if you are aware enough that you have to have priorities, like you're aware enough to get stuff done, right? I think if you're if you're aware enough to care about my message, you are aware enough to worry about your to-do list. Um, you're just not in a place where where you can't handle a to-do list. Yeah. And so I want it to be a place where you're staying on track and then you have access to me for quick questions. The last thing I want is for people to have to spend a ton of money to get me on the phone for an hour for a special consult, one-off consult when they could be in a group and ask me a quick question. So we have live Q&As every week. You know, what what do you need my gut checks on? It's my way of keeping people moving forward with choose your own adventure. Tell me what you need. I'll get you a quick answer. Here's a quick resource. I want to plug and play on the thing that you need today to keep your priority moving forward.
1: So you started a group and you work with clients one-on-one. Was there a particular operations or business model decision that you made actively in your business, or did it for a particular reason in terms of how you designed your own business that made a big difference in terms of how easy it was to run that piece where based off of your experience, when you're designing your own business, what choices did you make to make it be the business that you wanted to run?
0: I think the biggest one that I did was again, taking a little dose of my own medicine and really doubling down on my own frameworks and my own processes because I love to get so frustrated at the frameworks and templates that are out there that I like to scream from the top that everything's custom. Like I don't use any of that stuff, but in reality I do, right? I use frameworks to help find custom solutions, So I actually think the word framework that gets thrown around is thrown around in the wrong way. A lot of people say framework and they actually mean template, meaning I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. A framework doesn't tell you exactly what to do. A framework guides you through a decision-making process. And so I really resisted creating my own of those because of the connotation of the word and it frustrated me that it was this generic advice that wasn't going to help anyone. Um, But over the past nine months, I've really doubled down and said, okay, if I want to do this at scale, in a way that's going to get better results for people, get consistent results for people. I need to figure out what is this framework that I'm using because I know it exists in there. I think through the same questions every single time. So I sucked it up and I put that process together. And results have been phenomenal. Like my clients always got good results. They are getting out of this world results right now. And I'm able to help a ton more people in a lot less time. And so that was really a game changer for me. I'm not someone who wants to get away from one-on-one work. Oh, I love my one-on-one work. Like that's, I love it, but I want it to be efficient and I want it to produce mind-bending results.
1: I think it's interesting because the part where you talked about the framework and the you know the word and the connotation i find that often happens with the word process so when we talk about like hey you need a process for this or hey we're going to you know put documented processes into place and i find that people have a real resistance to that like something about the entrepreneurial spirit does not want to be constrained in processes or in documentation and I think some of it might be coming, you know, a lot of us come out of like a corporate world or the enterprise kind of world where documentation is 42 pages and processes are just bureaucratic nonsense. Where in your own business, you know, documentation might mean a checklist in your project management system or a checklist on a piece of paper or just a zap. That does the thing that you decided to make it do. But when you start saying, you know, you need a process, people just have such a, um, a resistance to that. But what's interesting is I often use the word framework instead of process to convince people like, hey, this is, you know, it's just, we're not turning you into um, a corporate empire. We're just going to put, we're going to make the same decision. We're going to make one decision and we're going to do that over and over. I just find it really interesting because I see a lot of that. There's like just a resistance to structure. And I don't, I don't know if it's, you know, that creativity that all of us as entrepreneurs, we want to create things. And it feels like, Process is the antithesis of creativity. When I actually think process is the thing that enables you to be creative and all of those other places, you know, there's no real need to be creative in your checklists, (laughs) and you can use that creative energy other places.
0: I love this, and that when I look back, then that actually shows my maturity growing as an entrepreneur because you are 100% right. So I have this. Rebel personality on any of the assessments you take, right? And that used to manifest was I was in corporate jobs before my startup. I would actually be so mad that someone asked me to sit at a desk from nine to five that I would rebel and I wouldn't do any work during the day, but I'm so conscientious, I would go home and do all the work. So it's not like I didn't do the work. I just created two jobs for myself because I refused to do the work during the day, but then I would go home and do it. And so then when I got into the startup environment, I loved it. There was so much freedom and this and that that I refused to create the processes. And then let me tell you, that led to chaos. Like I was my client who I was talking about grew too fast and everything was chaos. Um, So that was part of the stress of that. And I burned out very, very badly. And so I now think that six years on from that experience, leaving that experience, I'm kind of, you know, have slowly healed from that burnout, which was like serious and ugly. And now I can look back and I crave the process again, but little pieces, right? Like the checklist and the, this, and I think I have finally only taken 20 years, but I've finally figured out what that can look like. I I am a person with my personalities. I'm one extreme or the other. So when you say that stuff, I think like, oh, there's either nothing or it's so buttoned down, you know, Wall Street stuff.
1: I think that's the resistance.
0: There's a big, beautiful middle ground. Yes, yeah. there is
1: middle ground. And I think it's the middle ground that really um, like enables you to grow. And I think people are really overwhelmed when they hear the word process and they think that it's going to take forever and we have to do this big evaluation thing and we have to, but in reality, a lot of the process that we're dealing with, particularly in small business, you know, you could sit down for a half hour, write down how you want this to go and then you're done. As long as, you know, once you've done it, you decide that's the way that you're going to do things and follow it. You know, it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be as simple as a paper checklist that you follow. I mean, that's, you know, not my preference. I, I super love technology. So, but still like, it doesn't have to be that complicated. Yes. Yes. That's so interesting. Well, this was an awesome discussion. I love, I love digging into this stuff with you.
0: Oh, I can talk about this for hours with you. So we'll have to do an
1: episode two at some point. Absolutely. So where can our listeners find you?
0: Come hang out with me. My website is themichellewarner.com. And I spend a lot of time on Instagram these days. And that is michelle.warner. So come say hi over there. Drop me a message. I would love to chat all things business models with you.
1: Plus, she'll get really cute dog photos. Yeah, I have to say, or dogs. <laughs> there will always be
0: dogs. Yeah, or lakes or <laughs> hiking. We can talk about any of it.
1: That's always so relaxing. Like, I'm always going, oh, I wish I was on a walk with Michelle and her dog.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's always relaxing. He's a little bit of a hunter. Our walks can be adventures, but right now, hopefully you didn't pick it up on the sound because he is snoring very loudly down on the floor, but <laughs> hopefully that doesn't come through. Just know he's there.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today and we will connect soon.
0: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was
1: a blast. Thank you so much for listening to our show today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Make sure to tune in next time when I talk to Pia Silva of Badass Your Brand. We're going to be talking about how to structure your products, your pricing, and your time in a pretty unconventional way, but the end result is a seriously streamlined and efficient business. So be sure to hit subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss that episode. And before we go, I want to quick point to the sponsor of our show, my own company, ScaleSpark. We help agencies and consultants break out of growth stalls by fixing the underlying problems that stop your business from growing. Whether it's process, technology, client management, or some combination, we'll find and fix those bottlenecks so you can increase your capacity and profitably and sustainably grow your business. Because growth is only hard when your business isn't built for it. At ScaleSpark, we can help you build one that is. To check us out, head to our website at scalespark.co And thank you for listening. If you found this valuable, I would love for you to subscribe in your favorite podcast platform and share it with at least one person that you know that might benefit from it.